I think I was so young and dumb, I didn't even know <laughs> what a big project it was, thankfully, or I maybe wouldn't have taken the job. Almost 30 years ago, a team took the field in Missoula for the first time. This is the story of that season. This is the story of the 1994 Montana women's soccer team. This is the story of the Trailblazers. In the early 1990s, Bill Moose had a problem. This is Bill Moose, proud to have been the athletic director at the University of Montana from 1990 to 1995. Moose would go on to sit in the athletic director's chair at Oregon, Washington State, and Nebraska before retiring in 2021. But Montana was his first ever time in charge of an athletic department. By that time, Title IX had been a part of the national athletic landscape for nearly 20 years. Title IX actually went into effect or was passed while I was still a student athlete playing football at Washington State University. And, you know, back in those days, uh, the only women in our sports complex were secretaries. And look how far we've come. And uh, having three daughters myself and four granddaughters, it's inspiring and very satisfying to see all the opportunities they have right now. But it took a while back then for people to kind of navigate through the whole thing. One of the key pillars of Title IX at the collegiate level was a requirement to offer equal numbers of athletic scholarships to both men and women. Not long after my arrival, as you said, in 1990, we were really uh, assessing where we were in regards to Title IX. And though Title IX was really initiated uh, about 20 years earlier, it really didn't get its legs and a, a real good bite for 10 or 15 years later. And, and we were out of compliance in regards to opportunities uh, for women as compared to men, which uh, by Title IX standards had to be in the same percentage, the same ratio as the undergraduate enrollment. So I had some of my people, and I was very much involved myself, and of course would make the final decision, but look at various sports and what direction we might go to add uh, opportunities for young women. Title IX was always out there once it passed, and so we were not complying, and um, everybody was trying to think of different sports that the university might start. And um, soccer was a growing entity in the state of Montana, youth soccer and so forth. That's Bill Schwanke, a feature on the Missoula sports scene for decades. Six of them, in fact. He had his last play-by-play gig for the Grizz basketball team in 2017. In the early 1990s, he was working in the athletic department under Moose. It seemed like, in terms of all the things you have to worry about here, weather, recruiting possibilities, how much interest would there be, it seemed to... you know, cross all the T's and dot all the I's and was a good way to go. And it involved a pretty healthy number of scholarships, too, for women. So uh, that was important at the time. To even the numbers. Yes, as much as you could. Football is such an out-of-balance thing. Again, here's Bill Moose. At the end of the day, soccer made the most sense. It was getting very popular around the country and actually uh, quite a bit also right and more specifically in the state of Montana. So uh, 
we looked at that quite closely and, and made the decision that that was the direction we were going to go. And then there was a whole checklist of things we had to do. We had to, of course, find the funds to uh, support it. We didn't have a facility, so we needed to uh, develop a plan uh, in regards to a place for them to, our, our young women to practice and compete. The funding in the field were two of the three biggest obstacles that the athletic department had to confront upon starting a new team. The third, and most crucial, was finding the right head coach. Actually, the coach was probably the most important thing because there would be some place to play. There are other fields, were other fields around town even back then. Probably would have had to get dispensation from the NCAA to play on a high school field, but sometimes in situations like we were in, they might have allowed that. But finding a coach that we thought would have enough reputation, we looked at a lot of applications. We just had to find the one that would be strong enough persistent enough, all of those special attributes, plus being an excellent coach that had connections. We had to find somebody like that to start it out. Otherwise, we could have floundered for a while before it actually kicked in. We knew, of course, it was a startup program, and you typically aren't going to get a sitting coach in a Division One athletic program to uh, jump right into something that's been untested and the amount of work that's involved to get get any program off the ground. So we started to uh, advertise it and uh, worked very hard to uh, determine who uh, we might want to have as finalists and and then, of course, in the end, to uh, offer the position to. There were plenty of candidates, but one that quickly emerged was an intense former college star from Minnesota who was barely older than the players she'd be coaching. (laughs) Um, So... Amazingly, my town in Edina, Minnesota, that I grew up in, when I was in second grade, they started youth soccer for boys and girls. And I was one of those kids, like, I played every single sport. Like, my parents were amazing. I played tennis, and I did swimming, and I played basketball, and I figure skated. Like, I just loved every single sport. But when my parents saw that there was this new soccer thing starting up in Edina, Minnesota, they signed me up for that, too. And I fell in love. And I guess the thing that attracted me to soccer more than the other sports was there was a sense of freedom that I felt that I still feel when I play that other sports were maybe a little bit more constrained, like, hey, you have to do it this way. But for soccer, I just felt this pure joy, freedom. Maybe it's because the field is so big, like the coaches just can't have too much influence over what's going on, right? But I was just able to, you know, personally express myself creatively, maybe like how, you know, a painter or an artist would feel on a canvas. Like for me, soccer is that where I got to fully express myself in a creative way. And so that's why I love the game. And I fell in love with it from second grade on. And I remember some, some of the, like some of my teachers at high school, they would call it, you play that communist sport. You know, it was so like all the foreigners play soccer. Like, you know, if you're a, a good, wholesome Minnesotan, you, you don't play soccer. Like, there was some negativity towards the sport that I felt growing up, but I I loved it. I loved it more than any of the other 40 different sports that I was exposed to as a kid, and I'm so grateful for my parents. They were super supportive of me as a young athlete. Betsy Dirksen, whose maiden name was Betsy Reddy, went on to excel on the soccer pitch. 
In high school, she was a two-time All-American. At Boston College, she was a four-time All-American as a central midfielder. At that time, the only athlete in BC history to accomplish that feat. When BC named its Athletes of the Decade for the 1980s, Dirksen was one. Doug Flutie was the other. We trained on the grass. That was where the football team held their tailgate. So there was always like bottle caps on our practice field. And I remember slide tackling and cutting open my leg on a, a beer bottle cap. There was nobody that washed our uniforms or our training gear for us. It just, you know, we didn't go in and lift weights altogether. It was pretty, like I had a great experience, but watching how much women's sports have changed since I was a young girl, you know, I mean, just thank God for Title IX and the opportunities that have been allowed for, like my mom was a great athlete, but she didn't even get to play sports and I got to play sports. Dirksen went into coaching after she graduated and was named NAIA National Coach of the Year at Seattle University in 1993, just six years after her playing career ended. At that time, she was preparing to leave Seattle U and college coaching altogether. But Title IX was about to give her another opportunity that she never would have imagined. Andrew, I don't know if you believe in God, but <laughs> this is one of those stories where I believe in God. Like I had actually um, left Seattle U after three years because my husband had been pursuing training to um, work for General Electric Medical Systems, and he finally got a job with GE, which was like his dream. And, we, you know, we knew we wanted to start a family. College coaches, we don't receive a load of money. Like, he was getting into this job where he was excited to, like, be the main provider for our family. So he gets offered from GE Medical this territory of the state of Montana. And I love nature. So I was like, okay, let's, let's pursue this. Let's start a family. Let's you take this medical job that you've been training for, for years. I'll leave my coaching job at Seattle U. And that was our plan. And we bought a house in Bozeman. And then after I had left Seattle U, one of my players at Seattle U called me late at night and she said, you're not going to believe this, but university of Montana is starting a program and you're moving there. And it just seemed so just, you know, fortuitous or, or godlike. So I just applied for the job. The process uh, of getting applications didn't take all that long because there are always people out there looking. And especially since soccer was relatively young at the college level, even back then, there were a lot of people looking. Betsy's name rose to the top very quickly because of the fact that she was coaching in Seattle, what was then a Division II program. She had a tremendous record. She had an area to recruit from ready-made to start with. And um, so she, she was at the top very quickly. Bill Moose remembers the coaching search. There was a, a great deal of interest. As I recall, when, when we laid it all out, I was intrigued with Betsy Dirksen for a number of reasons, and I wanted to get an opportunity to get to know her and get a feel for her. Once I did, it didn't take long for her to rise above the others for several reasons. Betsy had a great knowledge of the sport, having been a participant at the college level 
and also coaching in the college level. She was a proven recruiter and had a tremendous knowledge of the Pacific Northwest. And at that time and still, the state of Washington was producing very, very fine young women soccer players that were being recruited uh, really uh, up and down the West Coast and some across the country. Betsy and her ties with the Seattle area and the state of Washington was very appealing in that regard. I could tell she was a fierce competitor and a disciplinarian. And any anyone who's ever played for Betsy, I think, would uh, agree with me in that regard. And the biggest thing I think that really uh, struck me was her energy. And anytime you're going to start a program from scratch, you got to get up a little earlier in the morning and go to bed a little later at night and really uh, have the energy that uh, can go nonstop to attract uh, a roster. I was a lot younger then, obviously, too. She seemed, she still seemed very young, but in terms of her ability to communicate sell herself, sell soccer, analyze for us the things that would have to happen to make the program develop relatively quickly. You know, one thing I remember about Betsy is she was strong. She was very strong-willed, and she was aggressive, and she was not the type that was going to want to take her sweet time getting the program going. Betsy really, in my opinion, and I had the final say, was the perfect fit at that time, and she proved it. In January 1994, Betsy Dirksen was announced as the first soccer coach in University of Montana history. I think I was so young and dumb, I didn't even know (laughs) what a big project it was, thankfully, or I maybe wouldn't have taken the job. A lot of things that the average person wouldn't think of all had to be addressed. The uh, media piece of it, who's, how are we going to promote, advertise, and market this new program? Uh, how are we going to get the community involved in, in regards to buying tickets and, and attending the events? Then there's the, tr- the training room, the equipment room. Uh, when you add more athletes, you need more equipment. You might need another trainer or somebody's going to have to take on more responsibilities. There's the travel costs, uh, the cost of scholarships. There's uh, a variety of things that most people don't stop to realize. The academic piece of it, who's going to be in charge of making sure that these young women are moving towards their degrees and, and being eligible. Uh, all of these things had to be laid out discussed and assigned and put into the overall plan. And again, I had an outstanding staff. I'm Linda McCarthy. I am currently the director of the Downtown Missoula Partnership. I've been there for 24 years. And prior to that, I was the assistant sports information director for 10 years. I was there from 89 to 99. I grew up in Dupuyer, Montana, which is a tiny little town on the Rocky Mountain front. Went to school in Valier. And the only sport we had available for women at the time was women's basketball. There were 24 kids in my class, 20 girls, four boys, and everybody played basketball. There was no soccer, volleyball, track and field. So I don't know how I ended up in athletics. I think I was at the right place at the right time, but I didn't know anything about soccer. Um, And, 
you know, Gary knew everything about soccer. Well, I'm Gary Stein. I am a longtime teacher. At the time, I was hired as the PA announcer for the University of Montana and uh, stayed there for, I think, 20 years doing the PA and the scoreboard and, yeah, most of that stuff behind the scenes. And Linda was my immediate supervisor uh, because <laughs> she was the assistant sports information director. Gary Stein and Linda McCarthy, both of whom still live in Missoula, suggested that it would be better to interview them jointly. They were right. Gary, a fixture in the Missoula soccer scene, brought in a few copies of the original 1994 media guide that he dug out of a pile in his house. Linda came with her own highlighted printouts of the 1994 roster and schedule. They were building up a new program, and it's really interesting to be around when you start a new program at the college level. It's um, not an easy thing to do. That was kind of fun looking back on it. Like, yeah. It was like, we're just rolling out a program. It's all brand new, and like nobody really knew much of anything except what the rules were handed down by the NCAA and various other agencies. So. Well, and they had soccer in other places, but not at the Big Sky Conference. And, you know, it's a conference-level decision. And, you know, as a member of the league, you're just coming along. And I, I think the big, like, the big win was, how did we get Betsy Dirksen, right? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but I, I remember bringing her on board. And um, she was, of course, a rock star. Um, she had played at Boston College. She grew up in Minnesota, I think. Mm-hmm. She had been a head coach at Seattle University. And, you know, of course, they interviewed a lot of different candidates. And and it, I, I think it was one of the first women's head coaches that we had at the University of Montana. And she was incredibly bright and beautiful and engaging. And she just had an aura about her that was so fun to be around. And she chose us. Yeah. She chose Montana. And Betsy and Aaron, the family, really, they were a young family. And they embedded themselves in the community and, you know, really embraced the community, community embraced them sort of thing. It was a very Missoula thing, very organic. And I think it, it also was dovetailing very nicely with the development of soccer at the youth level, high school level, et cetera, et cetera. So it was great. It was very exciting, really. You know, like if I was in Oregon or in some other place where soccer was already embedded, it wouldn't have had the same feeling. Like this was all brand new. So yeah. it was pretty cool that way. Interesting story, too, because she got hired in the spring, you know, so she didn't have a whole lot of time to put a team together. And uh, turns out she accepted the position, found out a couple days later, I think, that she was pregnant. And she had her first baby in August of that year, which is about the time that the season started. And, you know, first time mom, you're doubting, can I do both? Can I start, you know, a program, run a team? And be a brand new mom. And, you know, normally when you have a baby, you have usually about 12 weeks of maternity leave. But there was no maternity leave for her. She just jumped right in. And I think there was a moment when she wondered, will they still want me, you know, now that I'm going to have a child? But, of course, Grizzly Athletics embraced her. And, you know, she brought on um, Julie Holmes. And, um, you know, Julie really helped get things going as well. They worked really well together as a team. I forgot to ask Julie Holmes, now Julie Woodward, to introduce herself, so I'll do it for her. Woodward played under Betsy Dirksen at Seattle University for three years, 
but the assistant job at Montana was her first ever college coaching experience. You know, I felt super honored and privileged that Betsy asked me to be her assistant coach. I had some experience, you know, coaching youth in camps and whatnot, and obviously she had coached me for a few years when I was at Seattle U, but I remember just being excited about the opportunity and excited about working with her. You know, she was hands down probably one of the most, not just influential coaches in my life, but I would say probably one of the most influential people in my life. I was not intending to get into coaching, which is probably why I'm eternally grateful to Betsy. You know, originally, I have a feeling she had a plan for me. I just didn't know it was the plan for myself. And I obviously played under her for a few years. I was a team captain for a few years when she was there. And I don't know if she saw something in me or she just felt like I would be a good assistant coach. And I looked at it as a way of paying for grad school. I knew I wanted to go to grad school. I thought, oh, I'm going to go to Montana. I'll work there for a year, get my residency, go to grad school. And that was my plan. And I ended up falling in love with the profession. Dirksen and Holmes immediately went to work building a roster. What was it like selling players on on a completely new program? Well, that you could be part of something brand new, that you could be a part of something that didn't exist before, you know, like, and, you know, also I sold Missoula just as a town, like Missoula is such a great, fun college town. A lot of my players ended up staying, even if they're from Seattle or Portland. So I think selling Montana, selling the beautiful nature, selling the, the college town and what great fans we have, and then just selling being a part of, you know, a brand new program. Like you can be a part of the group that started this thing. If I remember correctly, there was a lot of work. There was a lot of recruiting. And, you know, that was back in the day where there was a lot of handwritten letters and good old-fashioned phone calls and all of that wonderful stuff. There was a club team at the University of Montana. And so that was sort of like the founding piece that really helped. And there were some great players that we actually kept from the club team and then really heavily recruited in Montana and in Washington and Oregon. So basically the Pacific Northwest became our stomping grounds to find a lot of great players Somehow we were able to get some of these great players that Washington State and University of Washington didn't pick up. And I was really lucky to get players like Karen Hardy's from the Seattle area, Courtney Matheson's from the Seattle area, Lisa Oyen. She's from Portland, Oregon. Just We were able to build a program out of great players from the Pacific Northwest. But then there was also some Montana kids like Nikki Grossberg and Michelle Badella-Gizek that formed that, those first years core, like I, I would have to say I was lucky or I was thankfully blessed by God. Like we ended up with a great first recruiting class of some wonderful people, wonderful athletes. And we tied that together with the club players that were already there. And right away we had a great team. Next time on Trailblazers, Betsy Dirksen and the 1994 Montana women's soccer team. The players arrive on campus and the Grizz take the field. Trailblazers, 
Betsy Dirksen and a 1994 Montana women's soccer team is a special presentation of Soccer in Snow and Smoke. You can find Soccer in Snow and Smoke on all your favorite podcast platforms. Brought to you by the Missoula Broadcasting Company and Skyline Sports. Visit 1029ESPN.com or SkylineSportsMT.com and click on podcasts to learn more. Recorded, produced, and edited by Andrew Houghton. Voiced by Andrew Houghton and Rhonda Smith. Logo designed by Andrew Houghton and Michaela Badziak.